Spurs have their new coach, and it is Ange Postacoglu. All right across, it in, and scores! And Madison can drive, and Son is in! Welcome to the Oso Spurs podcast. Happy New Year and Merry Christmas to you all. We've already had the best gift we could have ever dreamed for, which was another Spurs victory, leaving us asking ourselves that question again. I'm not even going to say out loud. Um, And today, our depleted squad slowly returns. Johnny, how are you? (laughs) I'm great, mate. Happy New Year to you. How are you? Happy New Year. I am doing very well, thanks. Every Arsenal fan in the country, in the world, oh, sorry, yes. is miserable and yes. we are happy. So I'm That's extra happy. <laughs> and Deej, how are you? I'm doing, doing wonderfully. I was, I'm not going to lie, I was not super optimistic about the game, but uh, hey, we managed to pull one out. So We sure did. Um, I think like many of us will discuss it a bit later. Wasn't overly confident going into that, given how strong Bournemouth have looked lately, but um we pulled it off um, and, and there were loads and loads of positives to talk about, but also some uh, things we need to address in January um, that's now upon us. Um, so, yeah, we're going to start by discussing that Bournemouth game and breaking down the performance before um, after that, we'll go into your questions. We had uh, quite a few come in, which would be great to discuss. So we'll start with the game, shall we? Um, Johnny, what's your your summary of the performance? Um, performance um, was... It was a bit patchy, but I think it's like kind of what a lot of our more recent games have been. You know, the ubiquitous early start out of the box pretty quickly, um, threatened a few times before Sars' goal, and it was again another goal around the 10 minute mark. So that was really positive. And looking again like we, we might do as we did against Everton the week before. Um, but as you said before, they're at Bournemouth have got an incredible record. Six wins and a draw out of their last seven games is incredible. And, um, and you know, some of those games have, have come against very strong opposition. They've famously obviously won 3 0 at Old Trafford, not United or any great shakes, but that's still an amazing result for a club like Bournemouth. And they've tied with Villa and, um, you know, won away to Forest and stuff. So uh, I thought that we were, I think, between taking the leader, certainly till maybe 20 odd minutes around the time when Sarah went off from then until really the second goal, probably Bournemouth with the better side, if I'm being completely honest. I thought we were just a little bit lacking intensity. Um, it got it got pretty flat. We lost the ball affair fairly easily, but at the same time, as Ariola was in, in his post-match interviews, like the difference was really in, the, in the, how clinical Tottenham were. And although, Having said that, there were good chances that were spurned as well. Like Richardson had two in particular, I think, before he scored. And, you know, in another day, Sonny might have scored in the first half as well. He had a good opportunity. So, you know, we I think that's ultimately what what decided the game. Um, I mean, I think probably for most Spurs fans, we would say that the most significant thing yesterday was the return of Benton really, which was like a major boost and, a, and very unexpected. And I think I was in a queue for it. I wasn't eating a kebab, but my son was in a kebab queue uh, when at, at uh, an hour before the kickoff. And we saw the team sheet, thought that that's got to be a mistake. Like when everybody was so, so pleased to see his name back on the sheet. So that, that was brilliant. He came through, he did well. And um, I think obviously the, the injury to Sar 
it's very disappointing. Valise's injury was also that more hamstrings all over the place. Um, but it's three points, and we're we're just three points off the off the top of the table. So, like, it's pretty, as you said, especially with the Arsenal um, double whammy over festive sp- festive season. It's uh, all the sweeter for that. So, yeah, you know, gotta be happy. Yeah, and did you agree with Johnny? Were you? I, I generally, when I saw Benzema's name on that team sheet, I thought, nah, that's just some mm. some they've given the intern the job over the Christmas break, yeah. and they've cocked up, and they accidentally put Benzema on the team sheet, and then the pictures came out of him actually on the pitch, and you're like, what? Yeah. How 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 have we got to this point where we we believe every transfer rumor from a journalist, but they didn't even know that Benzema had obviously been in training for the last two weeks, mm. <laughs> like, but anyway. Going to the game. <laughs> Apart from the surprise of Bentenko, what did you make of the performance? Um, I will say that if I were Bentenko and I saw our performance at Brighton, I would have done everything I could to get back on the field as soon as possible. <laughs> um, but outside of uh, outside of that, I thought that we played a pretty typical, I guess, what I will now dub as Phase One Ange Ball, which is have a very good start of the game, usually score a goal that comes probably, honestly, from our press. I think a lot of the goals that we've scored early have come from the opposition not really being settled in yet, making a a lazy pass, and then someone, usually someone like like Saar, um, jumping onto a ball in the midfield, and then us converting quickly on a counter. Um, The opposition then gets more comfortable, um, and we drop off a bit as a result. Um, and then, uh, after a period of, I'd say, I don't want to say opposition dominance, cause I don't necessarily think that Bournemouth dominated at any point in the game, but they certainly were the better side for a large part, especially at the end of the first, I think was, I think everyone who watched that game was just kind of praying for the halftime whistle to come as soon as possible. Um, but, um, we managed to get a foothold back in the game and, um, some clinical finishing from Sun and some regular finishing from Richarlison um, led to, you know, good good win. I thought that uh, Sar going off early hurt uh, our midfield press a lot just because the, the stuff that he does is, is just so hard to match from anyone else. And that's why I'm so happy that we signed him to a new deal. So like 2030, whoever's making those contracts is... They took the Harry Kane contract and they just copy pasted the length, which mm-hmm. I am so <laughs> unbelievably happy with. Uh, so that means that especially Destiny and Sar, they're yeah, stuck yeah. here for a while. Um, yeah, I think that I think that Sun played better as a winger today than he did in previous games. I think he's. I think it's so hard to move from being a nine to a winger, especially in a situation like Anjbal, where like they're asked to do such different things. And I think that that kind of part of Sun's game is something that shouldn't necessarily be understated. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Richarlison played really well, except for the miss. Mm-hmm. Um, that one big miss. I think that he's putting himself in good positions. Um, and I mean, he's been he's been converting it, not necessarily a great clip, but at a reasonable one. Um, and then I think Brendan Johnson had a much better game today. Uh, I was 
unhappy with his performance against Brighton to say the least but yeah. I think that I think that he has the ability to put that like kind of that low whipped cross in to Richarlison because that, that kind of goal we scored like two or three times in the past couple of games where uh, Brennan Johnson will beat a man for pace just like take a touch around him whip a ball in and then Richarlison will come and finish it near post he did the exact same thing against Everton mm. Um, so I think that kind of goal is one that we'll be seeing more and more often. And yeah. Yeah. For for games played, Richarlison, because he's missed uh, seven weeks of play through for injury this season. I forget how many games. But if you just go off games played versus goal output, he's on course for 15 goals this season. Mm-hmm. If he avoids injury the second half of the season, which... Mm-hmm. Like I think that's what we're saying is like that's all we'd really expect that like that's more than Jesus is going to score or Saka like and on that he's scored tw- three times I think Martinelli's got two goals Saka's got six and Richie's got six but Richie's got an extra assist to Saka so you, you've got on one side this lauded superstar future you know future of England and then you've got this absolute flop Richarlison who are on the same amount of goals apparently um, and one's in a team which is in phase five of project Arteta and one is in phase 0.2 of, of Ange Postacoglu's mission with Spurs. So, um, yeah, I, I think there was loads. It's not just that. It's, yeah, you're right, Jim. And it's, but you, he's got five from five games now. And I guess you look at this, you know, the, the, the graph of the season that, and, and the progress he's made. And it was, it was, this is the same season where he had the, the, you know, the really difficult beginning phase. And, um, He's he's come back from his most recent injury and his surgery, and since that point, he's he's really has looked a different player. I mean, we, we recognise his work rate and his tenacity and pressure he puts on defenders. But yesterday, he yeah, he did so didn't stop running. And when Ange is talking about the effort that the players are putting in, and he recognises the reality of you know the, the areas that need to be improved, um, he he acknowledges you know time after time the the work rate that the players um, are investing in each performance and, and I think Richarlison probably typifies that more than anybody else on the pitch like you know um, Sonny's done that for years as well they're just chasing down chasing down and uh, you know they are forcing errors like uh, uh, that is kind of how Neto's error came, came from that sort of um, mistake um, uh, from that pre- sort of pressure from from the Tottenham forwards so you know it's it's really good and it's like what, what TJ was saying there about about um Sar and the new contract and same with the doggy like it's it's just adding into the whole sort of feel good um that is just you know it's, we are kind of in spite of what we've been going through where we are where we are but like the these young boys uh, I thought a doggy yesterday also just mm-hmm. his his composure on the ball, his technical ability on the ball, and he's really what we've been praying for, really, to to go at both ends of the pitch. He's very effective, and I thought he defended really well yesterday. He, he wins, doesn't just win the ball, and like, you know, the level of skill he has, um, he, he, he just, he's, so composed, just takes the ball past the player, and just these boys, they're they're just beating players. Whereas before, kind of, you're look, you're players are just looking for a pass, they're looking for an option, or they're playing playing the ball out for throw-ins and things like that. Like that, that's not what's happening with the the players that we've got at the moment. Like in Sars, the same. He's just he doesn't just like make a tackle. He he makes a tackle, wins the ball back, and he starts to move 
of mm. a forward move. And you could see that yesterday when Skip came on, like no disrespect. I love all these Skip. He's, he is obviously one of our own and all of that, but he's um, just nowhere near the same ability, I'm afraid, as, as perhaps ours. And, you know, he did improve as the game went on, but he just it was much more like watching Spurs last season when he was getting the balls, it was going backwards, it was going sideways. And um, so to, to have players wanting to commit their future, um, you know, is, is really a long-term future. Young players with, of that, that kind of um, level of ceiling, we don't know what the ceiling is, you know, but the, to have them tied down is, is brilliant. It's really, really exciting and hopefully points the way forward for future signings that I know you'll mm. probably be wanting to go on to later on. I thought, I thought, Dej, were you laughing at Johnny's comments there? Or was no, I was, I was actually, because you, you mentioned, no, what I was laughing at was you were talking about the old Tottenham, and I think that the two players that to me represent the old Tottenham that are still yeah. on the team, besides Dyer, probably, yeah. are Skip and Hoybier. And I yeah. was just, it, 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 that just reminded me of the, of it, like, in the 90, like, first minute after Valise had, like, pulled something or whatever, when we had the counter. And Sun was on one side, and Valise, who was basically on a hand and yeah. two hands and a foot, running down the pitch, and Hoiver had the ball, and instead of releasing Sun, he just passes it to Valise, That's who right. just immediately just keels over. That's... Man. I know. That was I've... just a Tottenham moment, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it was just so Tottenham. I, to be fair to Hoiberg, I... I think he was just playing off instinct. He was just like, yeah, I know yeah, no. Bang, I mean, put it, it through. It's <laughs> the right pass to make, and I don't. I I think I, he can be forgiven for not knowing that Valise was injured. Like that's not something that you're necessarily going to be acutely aware of if you're not watching from a a bird's eye view. I just thought it was a funny moment. I do actually mm-hmm. just to, because we didn't do a post Brighton game for, you know, we were all busy over the holidays. Um, <laughs> but I do want to say give a quick shout out to Valise for scoring his first uh, his first Tottenham goal. Good for him. Hopefully, first of many, and I swear to God, if this is a long-term injury, I'm going to cry because we need, we need, so we need, we need forward depth, yeah. and that was his job. I guess Dane Scarlett's back now, so mm. hey, I guess he'll be. Yeah. Uh, I guess he'll uh, be our new. Yeah, I, I do. To be fair, like if you had, if you were living in some weird universe where they said you've like i kind of feel when spurs win a game someone up in the clouds says okay you want three points to you well that's going to cost you two hamstrings and then we have to go into a negotiation with that person and they're like right who who this time we're like okay just take valise and sars (laughs) off afcon so even though i really like afcon's a massive competition and it's so important to him and uh his fans all around the world just can he just miss the first couple of games of that and then, like Senegal, they'll be through, it'll be fine. But just take half of his hamstring and just take Valise's, and um, we'll we'll take the three points. And I think that's how the negotiation went. You, so you I choose. guess <laughs> my question would be: How many times have we negotiated for uh, for Ryan Sessegnon? Yeah, he's been a complete <laughs> scapegoat. Poor fucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Ryan Sessegnon has been completely sold out, but. Um, yeah, whoever was in charge of selling out Romero and Van der Ven deserves to be shot. But there you go. Talking of which, though, I am so excited that Burnley game aside, mm. we could have a bench against United that has Van der Ven back on it and Madison back on it, leaving us going into Feb. Even if we lose, if we lose to Man United and Burnley, because Burnley's FA Cup, Liverpool, who are top of the league, win. 
all their games. They've got game hand, including their game at hand. We go into 1st of February with Romero, Madison, Basuma, and Bentica back nine points off the title with 18 games to go. I'd have bitten your hand off for that situation, you know, a few weeks ago. So um, I'm just saying, I think we should all dream a little bit because that, and we looks like we're going to actually get the centre back sorted um, as well, which should be absolutely massive. It does. It does seem like we are moving quickly. I would not. Obviously, it's Tottenham, so I wouldn't be surprised if we waited until January, um, January thirtieth, and then the deal fell apart uh, before unfalling apart, as <laughs> happened with Poro last uh, last January. Um, but I, it does seem that from what I've seen from Fabrizio Romano, who's like the only person that I trust anymore, because like you said, nobody really. Uh, leaked that Benton Kerr was in training. Not that I think that people didn't know. I just think that they'd say exactly what the club wants them to say. And I think the club probably said, I swear to God, if you say this, uh, we're cutting you off. Uh, mm, so I can't like for, for, if, if for, for most of them, I would agree. But for someone like Ali Gold, who's basically a club mouthpiece, like he has to have known it in some capacity. Yeah, because um, like there's he he'd have seen like training photos and they would have they would have they would have like not given the training photos that like yeah with Benchinker in them. I mean, well, Ali I Gold, know. I agree. I imagine with Ali, yeah. it's like he's he's the only other keep... person that I yeah. care about. Like there is a little bit of club saying to journalists, you can have X information, but you can't paint it in a certain way. And if you you can paint it how you want, but read between the lines. If you if you continuously paint us in a negative light, we're not going to give you certain bits of information. And I think that's the way all clubs manage their their key journalists. And rather than I don't think Ali Gold takes sides of anyone. He's pretty he's he's probably the best we've got. But he'd rather not say anything at all than take a side mm. with, with something. And I think for a situation like that, you're right. Dude, you probably knew and just thought can't say shit until one hour before kickoff but it does make you question all those twitter itks who claim to have this in, inside knowledge behind a picture of an egg if they actually knew what are they protecting by not saying anything if some player was out on the training pitch for two weeks but uh should we jump into some questions or some other bits about the game you guys want to to cover off first i just want to give a quick shout out to lacelso oh yes i he is he was absolutely brilliant uh yesterday and i he i mean to be a part of because he, he's a part of like you know that transfer window in everyone's mind the one that like every single player flopped and um i think that it shows like his character it shows Anja's like ability to like you know give players a chance i think it just speaks so highly of i think the club culture as a whole to have to go from the guy who like whereas having rumors leaked like on a weekly basis on how he like hated the training staff and hated the staff and was super rude and stuff. And us throwing him to Villarreal over and over again to, you know, being a, a, I would say a crucial part of this team, especially with given it, it has come because of some injuries, but he has stepped into that role exceptionally well. And he has been in my mind, probably one of our best players in December. Um, so I just wanted to to shout out him. Um, yeah, I'm really happy yeah, that it's... he might not pan out here, but you know mm. he's definitely playing playing up his transfer value a little bit. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's that's actually yeah. I I, w- I want to mention him too. The, he was actually kind of the main player featured in the program yesterday for the game, and there was a lot of really interesting quotes. Um, and it's certainly like from reading the article. I know obviously it's like club uh, produced article, so it's like not exactly objective, but words that he's directly quoted are clearly you know they've, they're from the primary source. Um, he was really talking very much. About in the terms of and you know being being happy at Spurs, really enjoying playing for Ange, really respecting and learning from him, appreciating his like motivational um, uh, skills or, or uh, assets, and and also his, um, his his incredible like level of detail and, and meticulous preparation and stuff like that. But it's like when you look to all of the. Yeah, as Deej was referring to, he's kind of a player that really most of us, I know in the summer we were talking about, like, you know, who who could kind of come back from the dead. And Lacelso was somebody that we did talk about as maybe under Ange. He might be the sort of player that Postacoglu would appreciate and get something from. And um, yeah, he had his injury concerns earlier in the season. But since he's come back in November, December, mm. he, he was saying that he'd scored... Um, some of the goals in the international break in November and the, the big games against Uruguay and Brazil and uh, then he came back and scored against Villa obviously scoring against his compatriot um, in that match was quite a big thing for him and then he also scored against City in the following match as well, a huge game that was too so he seems to be he was like talking about those moments in, in a way that was like he was just really relieved, you know, that like obviously goals give you confidence and to mm. sort of feel that he's really being contributing, being part of the squad and being an important player because they, they just saying that he's, especially with the injuries that we've had, been more and more important. And I thought yesterday he was, at the beginning of the game, he was a little bit wasteful. Like he did give the way, the ball away quite a bit, but his second half performance was superb and the, the, the assist for, Sonny in particular was was really really impressive. It was incredible, um, and he just tries things again. Like I was talking before about the technical side of things, but we've got a lot of technically gifted players, and and he really does stand out. Oh, he's me. definitely yeah. You know, and definitely. the other the other player. Sorry, I'm on looking, but the Emerson Emerson Royale, who's like uh, being an Emerson fanboy. Like I just I I, I love what he's done, like how hard he's worked and how how his response to adversity. And yesterday I thought he was really, really solid and he he was putting his body on the line. He was blocking and tackling all over the place. And then there's like that really um, special, it looked better in the stadium than I think it did on Match of the Day when I watched it uh, last night. But there was that shot he took from about 25 yards out, 30 yards out. And it was like, you kind of like... He forced a proper save. He won the corner. Like it was a bit like the Walker strike against Arsenal many years ago. The yeah. same kind of position on the pitch. And just thinking, why not? Like he had the confidence to do that. I know you don't want them to do that well, very don't often. Forget, he did score a goal like that on his debut. Yeah, 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 he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I think I think Emerson's. You know, those lads have come into the centre centre defence. Both of them. Um, you, know, you can really ask any more. Uh, and then when we we had Dyer on for the last, but like he did what he needed to do. But it was like as Steve just said before with Skippy and and uh, Pierre Emil Horberg. Like you just see those players, and you you do get a little bit no more nervous. And uh, so I think yeah, that, I think Royal. Let's face it, he's a, he's a great guy, but you're going to take eighty percent of Romero over a hundred percent of of Emerson Royal at centre back. Uh, yeah. 
every day. But as I think we said before on the pod, he's he's the right-footed Brazilian Ben Davies. Um, he's he's such a useful squad yeah. player. I don't have like an urge to see us sell him because I think Absolutely like he's not. your emergency backup for multiple positions, and he gets a lot of shit because. He came from Barcelona and he's Brazilian. <laughs> so every stereotype in your head goes rapid step overs, incredible yeah. attacking wing back. Who's going to take this league by storm. And then you're like, what? Like, he's just yeah. not that at all. Um, and Ben Davies was also, I remember when we signed him, there was a Welsh fan on social media who said, um, you have just signed a player better than Gareth Bale for four million pounds or whatever it was and i was thinking like yeah 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 it's gonna be that and he wasn't that at all but he was still he's still been such a great signing for us mm. <laughs> just not what we expected it to be um should we did, did you have something to add or should we jump onto the questions i think you guys have mostly covered it um yeah i think it's especially talk about emerson i mean he has been our backup for three of the four um positions in the defense this season yeah. at some point or another and i think that that level of versatility is something that is yeah. very nice to have in a in a squad player and same with davies because i think davies is his moonlit is a is an ange uh mm. left back at times as well so mm. those kind of players with that kind of versatility are are super useful especially when while obviously it's not as good as having Romero or Van de Ven or maybe someone like Dragason, God willing, um, <laughs> soon, um, they do a job, they do it well. I mean, I think that most of the, I don't, I mean, yeah, I think that they've, they've done exceptionally well for what they've been asked to do and mm. the position they've been put in. Agreed. They've done with, I, I think it is also that Ange is uh, absolutely maximizing the most out of what we'd call average players in inverted commas as well. And he deserves some, some backhanded credit just for it as well. Um, but also he's, he said, and there's a video I just watched before this going into the transfer window, it's applicable that he thinks the valuation of a player of any premier league standard player is not, does not reflect the difference in ability because they're all so close in ability. They're all, there's an old interview that basically says that they're all so marginally close to each other in terms of how good they are as pro footballers that he'll choose personality and work ethic over the player who's got that step up in ability every day of the week. And I think those two players reflect that. They are mm. personality and attitude over performance. Um, I'm going to jump into some questions now. But uh, just before we do, we don't sponsor NordVPN or Manscaped or all that kind of stuff because it's completely nothing relative at all to what you're interested in listening to this but we did get a graphic designer to do some really cool sunny and rich allison uh, graphics and under the video if you're watching on youtube you can um check them out on there if you want some unofficial spurs um designs that they're, they're pretty cool um but yeah jumping into the questions um this one's from zed cameron on youtube who is your starting midfield with Saar and madison with Sargon and Madison back. Um, and after a long-term injury, without the rush of January and thinking more about next season and beyond, which positions should we be targeting um, after a centre-back? So we start the midfield question. So who is your starting midfield with Saar out and Madison back? Either of you want to put your hand up for that one? Um, I'll, I'll hop on. I, I, I think it's... it's you, you've got options like we've just been talking um, 
you know, praising the Celso. And it would seem pretty harsh for him not to be in there. But I think that I, I would be more concerned about how he slots in alongside Madison than keeping Kulisevsky in there because I think we missed Decky yesterday um, with the suspension. Without Basuma and Sar, like, probably have Ventancourt as your six and Decky and Madison uh, together and see how that works. That would be probably what I would go with myself. But, um, you know, to have Lacelso in there still. And then there's all the talk about Gallagher, which is interesting, but it's, it does seem to be a genuinely quite a strong rumour, um, whether it actually happens or not. I mean, I don't know when the last time Chelsea sold as a player, but. Um, yeah, so if we had somebody else in there, it'd be, it'd be even nicer. But it's a, it's a nice problem to have. And I think I'd give those three a go, personally. Yep. Weirdly, when everyone's fit, it's our most, most oversubscribed position is actually yeah. probably midfield. But Deej, go mm. on, what are you thinking? Do you agree, Johnny? Uh, yeah, I agree with... Whoa. <laughs> I agree with Johnny. <laughs> it's only supposed to do that when I'm on my own. <laughs> Carry on. I Sorry. agree with Johnny. Um... I think because like I think the problem with that is you have two nailed on areas, right? You have you have Bentancur is going to be in there somewhere, and you have Madison is going to be in there somewhere. And I think that the third position is honestly one that would probably be taken at a game by game basis, given on what mm. we need, which is kind of a cop out answer. But because um, there are, there are some games where I think it might be too offensive to have both Decky and uh, Madison. I, it, it could work. I don't know. But it's just to, in, in my mind. So then I, I could see something like um, moving Benchinker over to like Sar's role and then having probably Skip um, either Skip or Hoybier playing that six because I think that that's mm. the position where both of them are the best suited to play Ange ball. Um, but they have then for games where we're playing like a team that's going to just be sitting in a low block the entire game. I see no reason why we wouldn't play Decky, um, Decky Madison and Benchinker. And then especially with Sun gone, I'm interested to see if we mm. reprise LaCelso's role as a uh, makeshift winger. Cause I know he played there a little bit for Villarreal. We're actually going to have like three midfield options and everyone's fit. This is feels so new and refreshing <laughs> after so many years of, of just lacking some, or I always felt like we lacked someone in midfield, whether it was the Madison role, we was like, we don't have the creative person or it was, we lacked that Basuma type person, the ball winner, or we, la it was always lacking something. And now it feels like we've got three or four options depending on who we're playing against, which is, which is awesome. So thanks for the questions, Ed Cameron on YouTube. Um, next one's from our friend, Rick. If I'll give this one to you, Deej, as Johnny started the last one, but if realistically we can only have two players in the January transfer window by realistically, I mean, we'll cover key positions and they want to come and Ange wants them and Levy will pay. <laughs> That's the one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, who, well, I, I guess the question is, who are they? Yeah, I think one of them, uh, I'm going to cop out with the first one. I'm going to say the first one is a center back because I think we, um, I mean, we're going to sign a center back. We need to sign a center back. We've known we needed to sign a center back. I like the look of Dragason from the 
like half that I caught of uh, Genoa when you know he scored. So that means he must be a good center back, right? Uh, but um, I think that I think center back will definitely be one of them. I like the names that I've seen so far, and I I trust in our um, our scouting department with, that we stole from uh, the newest super team, Aston Villa. Um, <laughs> so I've, I'm I'm hopeful there. Uh, I think a lot of people would probably say midfielder for our second one, but as Jim said, I think we already have a lot of midfield options. So I would go shocker. Uh, if you've watched the pod before, I would go for a winger. I would go for a left winger who can break a man down one v one because I think that that is the only kind of winger that we don't really have. I think Brian Heal could do it, but I just don't think he has the body for the Premier League yet. Um, but yeah, I think that having someone because we create a lot of a lot of one v ones for a winger and a wing back. Um, and we saw what happens when a winger is sufficiently better than a wing back in terms of 1v1 dribbling versus 1v1 defending when we played Newcastle and Sun just made Trippier look like someone who had never seen a football before for large swaths of the game. So if we could get like a performance like that on like a against like an average wing back, I'm not going to ask for someone like Jeremy Doku who can like break basically anyone down but if we can get someone who can break down like more fullbacks and then create those chances then that's like i think that'd be the ideal for me yeah um all right Uh, johnny you don't have time for you to disagree unfortunately um because uh we've got four more questions to get through before the time runs up but i think uh did spot on i would also say the same i think we'd need like a a center back is obviously the must there's there's no debate on it the question is just about is the second is a central midfielder more important or is a left winger more important um and right now i think yeah Deej, if we could find a left-sided winger who could guarantee you 10 goals in the second half of the season, I would do a lot of things to have that in the Tottenham squad. So, yeah, Johnny, I've got a question for you next. Um, This is from Chang on um, Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it these days. Um, But with Saar and Valise picking up injuries, that will see them sidelined. Do their lengthy injuries force a change in our January transfer policy? That's part one. And the second part is what are our overall objectives for the season in terms of, yeah, winning things, league position, et cetera? Um, I think first question is, I mean, I, I understand where the question is coming from. I guess there's quite a difference in the effect or impact that SARS entry would have than Valise's. Having said, um, you know, acknowledge what, what Deej said earlier, we don't want anybody out for long term because Felice does still come on and serves a role. And now that Sun's gone, we have one less forward option. So, yeah, it's not ideal timing for his injury. I still don't think that his absence is particularly going to um, impact on what our priorities are. I think the SAR injury is removing somebody who's a really important part of the, you know, I think he started 16 out of 20 games this season. So he's a very, very important player. Um, and we could see yesterday the difference it made when he, when he left. So, but again, is, is, is his absence going to change the priorities in the transfer window when we have got Madison coming back? Um, and hopefully looking at what Benton recovery now, he, he's back in the frame and we've, 
also in the Bentinger century, maybe looks like it could be similar to SARS. So hopefully by the time we get into February, bearing in mind there are only two Premier League games in, in January, SAR should hopefully avail, be available. I mean, obviously I'm totally hypothesizing here, but I don't think that neither of those injuries really make a difference to our transfer strategy. And alluding to what T just said there, I think he's probably spot on there. I mean, the centre half, and then nobody in, is going to argue with that. That, that, was, that was obvious from the beginning of the season. Um, and I think I missed the last part of um, Deej's, um answer. So when you're talking about a player like that, I mean, the obvious one that we discussed before is it was Jota. I don't know if Jota was mentioned there by Deej, but, you know, he's a player that Andrew's obviously familiar with and he can come in and, and he's still only 24 years old with with the um, with the, the, the knowledge or the enjoyment I have had watching Celtic under Ange. I mean, Jota really stood out as, as being a very, very impressive player. And I, I think he's got the ability to come in and certainly um, no disrespect to um to Brian Heal, like I mean, I don't think Jota's gonna. I think he's still an upgrade on Brian Heal, mm. to be honest with you. So that that those are those are maybe the players that you probably would be likely to see coming. And I don't know if, if Gallagher's a reality or not, because presumably he would have to cost quite a lot of money. Oh, well, he's obviously going to cost a lot of money, even if Chelsea are trying to like make some money, they might give it better terms. But um, I guess for a player like Gallagher. Spurs are much more, of, perhaps, more more of a an enticing prospect than they would have been in the summertime when Madison was tempted to come in. Um, you know, when Newcastle were looking for him and he came to us, um, you know, the captain of Chelsea to leave them and come to us would be very, very sweet. Um, and he is a very good player. So, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think that looking at the transfer strategy, that would be kind of what, the way I would see things. And then the second part of the question, or second question, um, I guess I liked what Ange said yesterday when he, he yes, you know, somebody said you're a point off the top four and he said, well, I think we're just three points off the top, mate, kind of thing. And he's also when, when he's being quizzed whether we're in the title race or not and he's kind of like, again, having a nice little dig at the fact that Spurs are being maybe slightly disrespected because everyone seems to be all over Aston Villa. Um, yet, you know, they were a penalty, uh, a late soft penalty away from dropping two points the other day at home to the bottom side. And um, those two points essentially would have had them only a point ahead of us mm. as well if they hadn't got that penalty. So, look, you know, we are we are in the title race, I suppose, when you look at the table. And when, as you said at the beginning, Jim, we've got players yet to return, um, starting to come back in the next couple of weeks. So, I mean, it's just game by game, isn't it? And, and we've been saying all along, the fact that we've got uh, no distraction of Europe could be really massive. And so, uh, yeah, let's just go week by week. And maybe the, the inexperience of, of our players uh, in that sort of uh, situation would ultimately, ultimately be a difficulty for us. But sure, Leicester did it. You know, albeit with a very soft opposition. Um, you know, I'm talking about the opposition in in their individual games. The year they won it, they had too many easy games. Um, that would be nice if if Spurs could still be in the hunt come the end of the season. Who knows? 
Good answers, and I agree with you there. I firmly believe, and I'm going to stick my guns to the start of the season, we are in a title race, and anyone who says we're not is just too scared of saying it out loud because they've been disappointed and hurt so many times. Yeah. And it doesn't mean we are going to win it. It means we have a chance of winning yeah. it, and yeah. I think we'll still have a chance come March, which means we are we are in a title race. Um, Deej, I'm going to give the last, I'm going to quickly rattle through two quick questions and give you the final one because we're, we're running over quite a bit. But um, just quickly, uh, David Harris, do you think we should bring Jetson Fernandez back in? Yes. Um, yes, 100%. Build the team around him. <laughs> do we even need, is this even a question? <laughs> Sells Build a lot of jerseys, doesn't he, in fairness? Um, how, and then Richard Paul, uh, I just realized your, your, your Twitter handle, Richard Paul, is top, at top div. Um, how has Pentonker trained all week without anyone knowing? I think we covered that earlier. I just think the club is since Brilliant. about 12, 18 months ago, just really reined mm. in the, the comms that goes out of the club. And those who are given that privy information are told if you repeat that information, you won't get any more. Um, so we're just much more selective about what information goes out because that's partly our fault as fans because we demand better communication from the club, but we criticize every piece of communication they put out to us, to like the tiniest minute detail to the point where they've taken the approach of no information at all then, <laughs> um, which is sucks. And I agree. We need to have better communication as a club. Um, but that is what it is. Um, take the benefit to that is we could just see signings coming out of nowhere this January that we just had never heard of that we've seen in recent times. Um, and Deej, last question for you from Gav P, um, which is just how strong is our squad that wins 11 games with 11 players out? Yeah, I think that this is something that is kind of snuck up on us for several reasons. Um, one of which is that I think some of the squad options that we have this season, like we mentioned before, haven't really been thought of as like good squad options or like weak squad options before the season. Someone like I've always thought Ben Davies is good, but obviously Ben Davies often gets linked in with like Eric Dyer from the Conte days. So he, like a lot of people thought that he, it was time for him to move on. Um, Emerson Royale obviously got, uh, was had probably one of the worst starts I can remember to his Tottenham life. Um, not necessarily entirely his fault, but, um, he was just played in a position that um, he wasn't bought to play for under a manager that didn't really need him. And then the manager he was bought for was unfortunately out of his depth. Um, I think that also, like another one, uh, Lo Celso. I think that Lo Celso was probably, I mean, going into the season, I kind of assumed Lo Celso would be kind of similar, a squad option in the same way he was under Conte and that he was there, something would happen, he would leave in January. But this that obviously hasn't happened and he's been a brilliant piece. I think also we have players that are flexible enough to move between positions, which I think is really key because you're not able to, you're able to cover more easily across multiple positions. Um, like I mentioned, Emerson Royale has played, I believe he's played right back, left back, and center back. So he's played everywhere across the back. Uh, Kulisevsky has played uh, in the midfield and as a winger. Son has played as a left winger and a striker. Um, same with Richarlison. So having those flexible players allows for us to cope with injuries a bit easier than I think we would have if we just had, you know, someone like, Holland, who is a fantastic, fantastic number nine. But if you stick him on the left wing, he's useless. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. So Running having someone... Line, 
and kickball in net is his 100, 10 out of 10 attributes for that. Yep. Do it and from this angle instead, it will fall to 1 out of 10. <laughs> yep. And I mean, he's, he's still a fantastic football player, and if you offered him to, to Tottenham, I would bite your arm off for him. But, you know, in this specific injury crisis, he might not be as useful as someone like son Richarlison Kulusevski, who can play basically anywhere across the front and sometimes even drop into the midfield. So I think, yeah, yeah the versatility of our players on uh, kind of rehabilitating some of our players. And then just, I think playing to a system that plays to our players' strengths instead of playing to the system that won our manager something in Italy. I don't know who I'm talking about there, but um, I think yeah. that that, that <laughs> helps a lot. Good answer, Deej, to finish on. We've got to wrap up there, though. Um, but... I'm really sorry, Jim. Can, I, can you give go me 20 on. seconds? Go just, on, 20 seconds, just... Johnny. Go. Uh, Hugo Lloris. I'm getting, so I'm getting yelled at outside the door. Oh. We can't hear the background noise because I've got to take my son somewhere and he's very excited. Oh, right. Go on, oh, sorry. Go on Johnny. Go on. Ca- Captain Finish Hugo, he's, he's, he, yesterday there's a lovely um, presentation at halftime. Bloody King um, presented uh, Hugo with something. There's a really nice interview with Coity and it was um, obviously a nice montage on the screens of some of his highlights over the years. So 400 odd games and um, our, our most. Our big, most appearances in the Premier League era and obviously captain for however many years, like 11 years or something like that or whatever it was, um, really, you know, deserves to be mentioned. And and obviously, I know he didn't necessarily have the end to his time, but that's that we would have wanted. But um, it was really nice to see the reception he got from the supporters and also like the, the affection that he generally holds for the club. So I think he's somebody who we will definitely see back at Water Lane in the future, you know, even if it's just on the pitch side to cheer us on, he's clearly a, a big part of our history. So big up to Hugo and hope he has a, a really successful time over in the sunny California. Thank you, Johnny. We'll go one step further. We will des- de- uh, dedicate this episode to Hugo Lloris. Yeah. So cool. Hugo, you didn't get your Premier League trophy with us, but stick that on your trophy cabinet next to your World Cup tro- yeah. uh, medal. <laughs> exactly. Got that one. <laughs> cool. Well, up the Spurs, boys. Coming Roll Spurs. on, Burnley. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> up the Spurs. Up the Spurs. <laughs> up the Spurs. Spurs have their new coach, and it is Ange Postecoglou. Ball driving, crossed it, flicked it in. 